Thank you for listening to the Kol Hadash podcast. In this episode, we continue with the 2016 High Holidays with a recording of the Yom Kippur morning service. Without belief in cosmic justice or providence, Rabbi Shalom discusses the rationale for putting our hands to work with each other in this life, to work for justice, compassion, forgiveness, and self-improvement in the world. What can these hands do? There is so much wrong with the world. Violent conflicts in Syria, Iraq, South Sudan, even the south side of Chicago. The threat of terrorism stalks Europe and America. Natural disasters are beyond our control. Civil discourse is vanishing. And hatred seems to be on the rise. We do not trust our politicians. We do not trust our government officials. We do not trust each other. 40 years ago, the movie Network described an anchor beginning to lose it. Speaking to 80 million people, he offers a rant that sounds eerily relevant today. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. And there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do. And there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. And we sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We all know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller. And all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radials, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to riot. I don't want you to write to your congressman, because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. And the climax of the speech repeated over and over. Those who've seen the movie know it well. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Again and again and again. So what do we do? If all we are is mad and yelling, what good does that do? If we open our windows and yell, or even sit calmly at home or in a synagogue and patiently pray, it might make us feel better. But do we have confidence that only expressing our desire will make a difference in the real world? Or do we have to take the next step to move from wanting something to making it real? At a minimum, we should understand that it's not as bad as that rant or as you hear on TV. I receive a weekly publication called The Week. And every week, it has a section called It Wasn't All Bad. And they include stories of people doing good for other people. So it's worth reminding yourself it isn't all bad. There are many ways to explain what is different, unique, or special about a humanistic Jewish congregation. This High Holidays, we have been exploring one version, this world this life, these hands, and you. 
We are believers. We believe in making the reality of this world match our best visions of what it could be. We believe in the inherent equality, dignity, and value of every human being. We believe that this life matters. If we want to make the best of this life, if we want to make this world better, then we have to start with the most elemental interface we have with the world, these hands. At its very foundation, a positive humanism believes in human beings, not only their rights and responsibilities, but also their power and their potential. Too much of religion focuses on the negatives, what we cannot know, what we cannot do, what we cannot control, how we have failed, our limitations. To be sure, a realistic humanism accepts that we are not perfect, nor will we ever be perfect. We are not all-knowing, all-capable, or always good. Some imagine that humanism means worshiping humanity in place of a god, when the reality is that humanism means replacing the act of worship itself. One of our movement leaders was once asked, well, if humanistic Jews don't pray, what do you do? She answered, we do. Since 1952, every American president, Republican and Democrat, have declared a national day of prayer. In 2003, the American Humanist Association created a counter-program, a National Day of Reason. But the humanist parallel for prayer is not thought, it is action. If we want the world to be better, we don't just hope and pray it gets better, we roll up our sleeves and we get to work. There is nothing wrong with prayer unless it encourages passivity. Prayer and action are more effective than prayer alone. That was the genius of the Zionist revolution a century ago. Praying to return to the land had not worked for 2,000 years. So they said, Beit Yaakov lechul nelcha, house of Jacob, let us get up and go, and they went. We do. In order to do, we need confidence that what we do will actually make a difference. We have to motivate ourselves and celebrate what we can know, what we can do, what we can control, how we have succeeded, how we have transcended our limitations. As we hear in Inherit the Wind, the elephant is larger, the horse is swifter and stronger, the butterfly is far more beautiful, the mosquito is more prolific, even the simple sponge is more durable. What makes human beings different? Our minds and our skills, these hands. The power of the opposable thumb to grab, to hold, to carry, to manipulate. The dexterity of fingers to braid and to sew, to carve and to create, to invent a musical instrument and then to play it. The warmth of touch to caress, to comfort, to guide a child or to hold another's hand. There are many ways our individuality is marked our retinal patterns, our DNA, and of course, our fingerprints. Why these ridges? To help us hold on to what we need, to provide the friction that makes life that much more of a snap. One of our evolutionary ancestors from two million years ago looked very little like us. It was on the line between Australopithecus and Homo with longer arms, smaller heads, and shorter, more ape-like bodies than we Homo sapiens. What made Homo habilis, literally the handyman, and not the handsy man, what made Homo habilis different and more like us was its ability to make tools. 
the knowledge to make and use sharp stone flakes and hand axes to butcher animals and to skin them. In other words, Homo habilis found ways to meet basic human needs of food, clothing, and shelter with its own hands. From that rough beginning of using our hands to magnify their usefulness through tools, we have transformed our lives and the planet in ways that no other species has done, sometimes for good, and sometimes in ways that have made new problems. Just recently, I purchased a set of airplane tickets on a website. I received a confirmation email for the purchase, and the appointment for the flight appeared in my calendar automatically. I've started getting cell phone alerts telling me when I have to leave to get to my next appointment. On one hand, it seems very convenient. On the other hand, it's a bit unnerving. How many of you have let your car do the parallel parking for you? Our future could end up like Star Trek, where our inventions serve us, or it could end up like the Matrix, where we serve the machines. To those under 30, these concerns might sound like an old crank whining about those newfangled automobiles that go too fast. When the NSA metadata collection and surveillance program was revealed, a joke began trending on Twitter. The hashtag was, NSA called to tell me. NSA called to tell me, go back a page I wasn't done reading yet. <laughs> NSA called to tell me, I should check my voicemail. One of the messages sounds important. NSA called to tell me, the shoes I ordered from Zappos.com clash with the dress I ordered from Macy's.com. <laughs> NSA called to tell me what happens in Vegas stays in our Utah data center. <laughs> it's all very amusing until it affects you. These hands have made amazing things, but sometimes what they can do should encourage caution. These same wonderful hands that made tools and instruments can also make weapons. An open palm can easily become a closed fist. The risks understood, we can still appreciate all the secular miracles that human hands have realized. As Andrea mentioned earlier, the slogan of the Technion University in Haifa at one time was miracles happen, they take a lot of work. Over the course of the last 12 years I've been with Kol Hadash, I have spent much more time in hospitals than I wanted to, both professionally and personally. I find that as the years go on, the memorialist we read at the Yom Kippur Memorial Service is more and more composed of people I know or have done the funerals for. Yet every visit to the hospital, I am amazed again at all that we are able to do to lengthen and improve life, all that has been invented by these minds and these hands. The ability to see a baby inside its mother before it is born and to test for and even treat problems while in utero. The myriad ways to measure how we are doing and to find what is wrong, from blood flow and brain activity to the chemistry of our blood and the reflex of our nerves. We can do so much that it can be difficult to accept those times when we have to fold our hands and accept what we cannot control, what we cannot measure or treat. Even then, when we cannot discover and heal to change medical reality, there are still things that our hands can do. When we stroke the hand of a loved one in hospice care, we are not improving their physical condition, but we are still doing. They know we are there, and they know that we care. And we can use our hands, our energy, and effort in place of theirs. 
One of our longtime members, Joan Berger, passed away this past year after many, many months in hospice. And as I would visit her periodically, we would say, what can we do? What we did was we wrote personal letters to her closest family. We investigated how to deal with an estate sale. I did whatever we could to lighten the burden on her sons when the time came that her hands and my hands helping her could do no more. Yom Kippur is traditionally presented as a time of last opportunities. The book of life is not yet closed. The book of Jonah says repentance is always possible. We are reminded again and again it is not too late. It is never too late to do something with our hands and our effort. When we say we believe in these hands, we do not only mean our physical hands. Our hands represent our abilities, our knowledge, our skills, our connections to each other. They represent our impact on the world, our ability to control our own lives. These hands are also a reminder of the skills that we need. We need to develop our new abilities. Who knew before cell phones that our thumbs could be so useful for communication? <laughs> we need to remain flexible, adaptable, able to respond to new problems. We need to be creative, not just adding a handle to a stone ax to make it better, or making a needle from an animal bone to sew clothing. We need to be creative by taking what we find in society, in Jewish culture, in what we have inherited, and then making something new out of it. There's a wonderful Yiddish folk song that was made into a storybook called Joseph Had an Overcoat. And the story begins with a young man receiving a coat as a gift. But after time, it's worn, and then it's converted to a jacket, and then to a vest, and then to a tie, and then to a button, and finally he loses it. But in the title of one of the versions of this story, it now becomes the basis for a song or for a story. In other words, you can make something from nothing. There are times we need to be strong with brute strength, and there are times we need to be delicate and gentle, careful and deliberative. We wave hello or shake hands to demonstrate equality, or to show the absence of a hidden weapon, or simply to make a personal connection. Or maybe, according to a recent study by the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel, we shake hands to smell each other. This study found that when people shake hands with someone of the same sex, they were twice as likely to put that hand to their face and subconsciously sniff it. If they shook hands with someone of the opposite sex, they were twice as likely to put their left non-shaking hand to their face. It's certainly more polite than how dogs greet each other. <laughs> but this new insight into shaking hands also shows that we still have plenty to learn about ourselves and why we do what we do. Our hands are a way we define our groups in and out. Not every culture greets with a handshake, and some cultures, including some Jews, refuse to shake hands across gender lines. There are secret handshakes, special signs, nonverbal communication, even for those unversed in sign language. For those in the Jewish know, a special hand motion is made for the priestly blessing during synagogue services. The symbol is sometimes put on the tombstone for Cohen's. But if you ask most people in the world what this means, <laughs> they won't say the priestly blessing. They'll say, live long and prosper from Star Trek. In fact, Leonard Nimoy borrowed the gesture from his own synagogue memories. 
And sometimes even an insult can become endearing. Two years ago, I did a funeral for Sharon Shepard, another one of our founding members, who was a real pistol. She was under five feet tall, but tough and took no nonsense from anybody. Her children told me, and I shared this at the memorial service, that if you gave her too much sass or too much hassle, she wasn't afraid of letting you know who was number one, although not always using this finger. <laughs> These hands are not only what we can do, what we have done, how we communicate. Saying that we believe in these hands means that we believe we can care for ourselves and each other. You can find it on a bumper sticker, but it's still true. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. One hand needs another to hold, to clap, to play, to build, to connect. This afternoon, at our memorial service, we will conclude our exploration of this, I believe, by deepening that connection to each other. This world, this life, these hands, and you. This we believe. I want to conclude with a story I told Kol Hadash 11 years ago, but it is just as appropriate here and now. A student decided to stump his rabbi with a riddle. So he put a small bird in his hand and asked the rabbi, is the bird in my hand alive or dead? The rabbi knew that if he said the bird was dead, the student would open his hand, the bird would fly away, and the rabbi would be a fool. But the rabbi also knew that if he said the bird was alive, the student would quickly squeeze his fist and kill the bird, again making the rabbi the fool. The rabbi smiled at his student and said quite simply, is the bird alive or dead? The answer is in your hands. Shana Tova, a happy and thoughtful new year. This podcast was produced by Ken Burke on behalf of Rabbi Shalom and Kol Hadash Humanistic Congregation in conjunction with Repatriation Studios. I'm Ken Burke, and thank you for listening.